the perceived risks are higher. But as we know, the world can change overnight and historically safer markets can very quickly no longer be that safe or accessible. So as they say, with no risk, there's no reward. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not encouraging reckless business behavior, but as I said earlier, in order to succeed in a market like Africa, one needs to have a healthy appetite for risk. Hello and welcome to the Africa Dialogues. I'm your host, Laura Chikonya, and this is the podcast of the Institute for International Studies. Here we explore the big stories and trends transforming the continent today, told by decision makers, thinkers, and doers. Today's guest is Ryan Collier, CEO of Rosatom in Central and Southern Africa. Rosatom is a Russian energy company that specializes in nuclear energy, non-energy nuclear applications, and other high-tech solutions. The company plays an important role in Africa's energy security, has been supplying enriched uranium to the continent, as well as building Egypt's first nuclear power plant and providing educational and research support to other African countries. This all comes at critical times for the continent. Africa continues to grapple with the effects of its electricity struggles and seeks new pathways to its energy security and sovereignty. Ryan and I spoke about what local governments can do to attract investment to the energy sector, why companies need a healthy risk appetite to do well on the continent, and why a diversified energy mix is key to Africa's sustainable energy development. Here's our conversation. Perfect. So, first of all, Mr. Collier, it's a pleasure to have you, and I really look forward to hearing your experience and your unique perspective. So, let's start off by looking at the issue of Africa's energy transition. And the stakes are really high because Sub-Saharan Africa currently has the lowest energy access rates in the world, with electricity reaching only half of the population. Can you give us an overview of what the energy situation on the continent looks like right now? And how did we find ourselves here? Firstly, thank you so much. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to give you some insights into our beautiful continent. You're absolutely correct. Uh, The situation in sub-Saharan Africa is rather dire. Uh, Over 600 million people in sub-Saharan Africa still don't have access to electricity. Even Africa's most sophisticated economy, South Africa, is currently grappling with the worst energy crisis in years. According to a recent study, outages experienced in South Africa cost the continent between 2 and 4% of its gross GDP annually. That said, it's not all doom and gloom. I think we need to commend the progress that is being made on the continent. East Africa and particularly Kenya have performed well in recent years. I think the progress in Kenya can be attributed to a combination of factors, but it's largely driven by effective government policy. Although from a a rather low base, sub-Saharan Africa in general has made progress, particularly in the pace of household electrification over the past five years. The number of people gaining electricity for the first time is outpacing population growth. So that's roughly 20 million new connections every year. While connecting households and focusing on humanitarian aspects are vitally important, I do feel we need to pay more attention to the African Union's ambitious Agenda 2063 master plan, uh, which envisages Africa's transformation into a global powerhouse through large-scale industrialization efforts. And for this to happen, the continent really requires a vast amount of stable and cost-effective electricity. 
In terms of how we find ourselves here, again, I think this is attributed to numerous factors. I think the key factor has been the lack of effective policy and more importantly, the implementation thereof. Effective energy policy choices are essential drivers to Africa's inclusive growth ambitions. Not just the choice of energy sources, which is also very important, but the mechanisms of how they are implemented. Africa's energy prospects depend on the way government policies shape investment flows. Investments into power infrastructure in sub-Saharan Africa to date has mainly been financed by state budgets, which has been backed up with contributions from international donors. Um, while public sources of finance have an important role to play, they are unlikely to be sufficient to address the significant gaps that exist, and therefore they need to be supplemented by large-scale private sector financing. Africa has so far very limited success in mobilizing private finance, and most of the region's private investments into infrastructure has gone into a handful of countries, with South Africa alone accounting for more than half of that. So ultimately, whether projects can attract financing depends on whether developers and investors believe that they will deliver adequate returns and timely repayments of debt. This really requires sound investment frameworks such as appropriate tariff schemes, institutional and regulatory structures, as well as a robust contracting framework uh, like offtake agreements and credible guarantees to manage risk. So I think really that's where we are and, and I think a little bit of what I, I believe needs to be done to change the status quo. And you mentioned uh, more technical aspects which affect attraction of investment. And I would love to hear your opinion about the connection between more technical elements and perception, which I think is a very large and important aspect of nuclear energy. And it's no secret that public discourse on nuclear energy has been nuanced at best and controversial at worst. And as Africa begins to see nuclear energy as a possible solution to its energy struggles, what is the general public perception of nuclear energy and how has that evolved over the years? Absolutely correct. Sadly, I mean, the nuclear industry has for many decades had a rather bad rap. But I feel that we're finally turning a corner when it comes to public perception. I think that this more positive public perception towards the technology is due to a diminishing perception gap. So the younger generation have more access to balanced information and don't share the same bias as the previous generation. They also care greatly for the planet and understand that all green sources of energy should be utilized together to reduce greenhouse emissions. So the other thing is nuclear is finally officially being recognized as a green source of energy by the European Union, uh, which is great. It's something that I think the nuclear industry has known for, for many decades. But anyway, I do believe that finally... At a global level, nuclear is being recognized for what it is, and that's an affordable, stable, and clean source of baseload electricity. That said, what is rather disappointing is the narrative which is portrayed by a lot of the developed world as the most appropriate energy mix for Africa, and in general, it completely disregards nuclear energy. While numerous African nations are actively exploring the option to include nuclear energy into their energy mixes, this fact is greatly overlooked by international energy agencies and funds, who seem to be fixated on solar PV, wind, gas as the answer to all of Africa's energy problems. While I, I don't have any issue with any of these sources, and, and we, you know, as you know, Rosatom 
has a wind company and, and we're involved in various renewable projects and I fully support a diversified energy mix that can be bolstered in the shorter term, we also need to be very cognizant of Africa's long-term industrialization goals. Africa has essentially skipped over the second and third industrial revolutions. The continent is home to over 16% of humanity and yet less than 1% of the world's billion-dollar companies and only about 4% of global GDP. So certainly, Africa cannot afford to miss the fourth industrial revolution, but it should really be focusing on beneficiating the large amounts of resources under its own soils. Beneficiation and industrialization, however, require vast amounts of reliable, affordable, and clean energy. We also need to acknowledge, for instance, that many of the top performers highlighted, for instance, in the World Energy Trilemma Index, which came out last year, have a combination of both nuclear and renewable sources to effectively balance the energy trilemma. So as a by way of example, Switzerland, which is number one in the index, has over 30% nuclear. Sweden, which is number two, has over 40% nuclear. Number four, Finland, 18%. And number five, France, over 70% nuclear. So we, we need to take into consideration the developments made both onshore and floating small modular reactors that have a huge potential in, in Africa. And, and I think that Although public perception has changed and we're seeing a more positive approach and, and sentiment towards nuclear, what really needs to change is at a, at a higher level in terms of these energy agencies' funds and et cetera to, to really stimulate nuclear on the continent. And you mentioned Africa moving directly towards the fourth industrial revolution and having skipped certain levels of development that the rest of the world went through. This brings me to the topic of tech, of innovation, and there's a lot of talk about the role of new technology in Africa's leap forward. Since the Rosatom ecosystem is a lot wider than just energy production, which products and services do you think could have a significant impact on the continent and improve the lives of Africans? And what does Russia have to offer in terms of this technology? Sure. Well, beyond power production, nuclear technology offers vital solutions in, in many sectors, healthcare, agriculture, mining, science, and sort of as a company, we've focused on two fundamentals here in Africa, which is healthcare and agriculture. So nuclear medicine, for instance, will play a hugely important role in improving the standard of living in Africa. It's estimated that Around 12% of the 800 million people on the African continent will develop cancer before the age of 75. And this cancer burden can drastically be reduced through early detection and effective treatments of patients who develop cancer. Many cancers are completely curable if diagnosed early and treated adequately. When identified early, cancer is more likely to respond positively to treatment and generally results in a far greater probability of surviving and therefore less costly treatment. Currently, around one-third of all procedures globally used in modern hospitals involve radiation and radioactivity. So these, these procedures are among the best and most effective life-saving tools available. They are safe and painless and generally don't require anesthesia. That said, sadly, outside of South Africa, the rest of the continent has very little and in certain cases, absolutely no access to these life-saving technologies. The next thing that we're looking at is, is obviously food production and preservation, which is absolutely vital for a, 
a young and growing economy and population. Africa's agricultural sector continues to be one of its key pillars in terms of economic development and contributes largely to its exports. Today, nuclear technology is already helping African farmers increase crop productivity and at the same time reduce negative environmental effects, you know, as compared to other commonly, more commonly known agricultural practices. Africa produces a huge amount of agricultural produce every year and yet a large portion of it goes to waste. So increased access to irradiation facilities, which would then drastically extend the shelf life of food, uh, reducing food waste, and also increasing export potential by prolonging shelf life and opening new markets is going to be very vital. And therefore, Rosatom is able to offer turnkey solutions in both nuclear medicine centers, medical isotope production facilities, research reactors, and irradiation facilities on the African continent. This is a very, as I said earlier, it's a very key focus for us in sub-Saharan Africa currently, and uh, we appear to be making some good traction in this regard. Well, that's that's wonderful to hear, and I think that continuing the topic of what Russia has to offer Africa in terms of new technology that can really benefit everyday people and just the population in general, I'd like to go back to 2019, which was a very important year for Russia-Africa cooperation. That was the year that the very first Russia-Africa summit was held, and a lot of was pinned on the format. And just considering what a pivotal moment that was for Russia, at least, what have you noticed on the ground? Have you felt some sort of shift in terms of opportunity, availability of resources, and just the general interest in doing business with Russia? Yes, absolutely. I think if anything, I can see a very active shift towards Africa by Russian businesses, both states and privately owned. I believe that the investment appetite by Russian companies for Africa is, is now larger than ever. And I truly believe that there's a great deal of opportunities that can, should, and will be unlocked between Russia and Africa. The African continent is, is very open to Russia. And I think what they're expecting now is, is large-scale investments from the Russian side into the continent. So I really do look forward to seeing mutually beneficial businesses developing between the two. And, and I'm just very pleased to be a part of it. And just to go back to your comment about large-scale investments, are there any areas in particular that Africans are most interested in when it comes to, to large-scale investments? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all know that energy is a huge issue in, in Africa, as I stated earlier. We've still got 600 million people without access. So I think in terms of the energy sector, um, that, that would be vital. And then mainly in terms of infrastructure. I mean, Africa is a, is a developing continent. It's a developing market. And it still needs critical infrastructure. And for that to happen, as I said earlier, it needs investment. It doesn't need to be state investments. It doesn't need to be grants. What is needed is is investment into business and, and mutually beneficial business. And there are a lot of big powers, global powers, that are interested in doing business with Africa right now. And as they continue to expand and improve their toolkits and their strategies and the mechanisms that they use to do business with Africa, have you seen any best practices that have stood out and is there anything that Russia is currently not doing that you think Russia ought to when working with Africa? I think, I think we need to, to maybe historically look at uh, 
the, the Soviet Union, for instance, had very strong ties with Africa and in many instances assisted it in the liberation of its people. Right. However, there has been a very long hiatus in terms of active Russian trade and investment into Africa. And we, we can, it's understandable why. But, you know, while not forgotten in Africa, Russia has certainly lagged behind its competitors and particularly its counterparts in the East. China has made its presence felt in Africa, really. It's constructing airports, roads and other critical infrastructure at a, a rather monumental rate across the continent. I think in order for Russian companies to succeed on the continent, they firstly need to be less risk averse. The saying you need to spend money to make money comes to mind. I think that Russian companies in the past have been far too conservative with investments into the continent. And in order to penetrate a market like Africa, you need to be able to invest. And if anything, our counterparts in the East have shown that. And you've already touched upon the next question that I wanted to ask about big infrastructure project. It's actually the next two questions. So I guess that, would, you know, it's definitely a hot topic in Africa right now. Um, the nature of Rosatom's work is very large scale, long term and resource intensive. And as we know, all large scale projects come with certain risks. And the current perception is that these risks are more significant in Africa. Uh, do you agree with that, first of all? And second of all, what are some mechanisms that you think investors can use to make that decision with more peace of mind and go ahead and invest in Africa without worrying about political instability or other risks that might pop up along the way? Yes and no. The perceived risks are higher in Africa. But as we know, the world can change overnight and historically safer markets can very quickly no longer be that safe or accessible. So as they say, with no risk, there's no reward. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not encouraging reckless business behavior. But as I said earlier, in order to succeed in a market like Africa, one needs to have a healthy appetite for risk. There are numerous mechanisms to mitigate risk. Firstly, understanding the particular markets you're working in, understanding the risks and doing the proper feasibility, doing the planning, the correct planning. These are all cornerstones of risk mitigation. It's also vital to remember that you can't paint Africa with one brush. All African countries are different and they all have their own peculiarities and nuances. So doing detailed research into your market is vitally important. I also believe that one of the most vital mitigating factors is working with knowledgeable customers. Customers who can also understand and appreciate the risks. And if the customers are not knowledgeable, it's our duty really to educate them accordingly. All business has risks. Some in Africa may be perceived higher, but it's all about doing the homework to mitigate those risks. And I completely agree with you that the continent is so diverse. And this is a thought that's being repeated more actively as experts and journalists and businessmen in Russia are talking about Africa more and more, there's an understanding that it's not just one big country. And you really do need to understand the peculiarities and the differences between different regions. So I guess everyone needs to do their homework. And right now we are seeing a very impressive project come to life in Egypt, which is construction of the Eldaba nuclear power plant. Work began in 2022. So first of all, again, I congratulate Rosatom for 
making this huge step, but it was a long time coming. There's a lot of work that stands behind the first brick being put down this year, years of negotiations, various agreements, preparation, and other work that was done to to reach this point. In your opinion, what can the company learn from this experience and how can it be applied to your blueprint of working with Africa in Africa and perhaps, you know, in different regions? I think it's important to note that firstly, the decision to implement a nuclear program by a newcomer country or partner is a a strategic long-term decision, and it really needs to be treated as such. The development of a nuclear power program is never going to happen overnight, and it will take numerous years to implement. I think that it's important for all countries who are considering embarking on a nuclear power program to understand that this is a a long-term commitment. From the get-go, a nuclear program requires the establishment of substantial national infrastructure in terms of government bodies, legislation, regulatory bodies, industrial capability, human resources, stakeholder involvement and support. And, and this is throughout the life cycle of a facility that's essentially designed to operate for 60 years, extended to 80 years, and potentially even 100 years. And it's a 100-year partnership with, uh, for instance, Rosatom, right? So it is a long-term goal, and it's it, it needs to be perceived that way as well. Most countries, for instance, follow the International Atomic Energy Key Milestone Approach. And I'm not going to take you through the entire thing, but uh, it can be a very lengthy process. But this is done so that we can operate safe utilities and, and utilities that are going to last and supply stable power. Uh, so as a responsible vendor, Rosatom understands that we need to move at a scale and a pace that results in, in, like I said, safe, sustainable and affordable nuclear program that will benefit our partner country and its population for, for generations to come. Again, I, I said earlier, each country is very different. And there's I, I don't personally think there's a one-size-fits-all when it comes to implementing nuclear programs, particularly on the African continent. Yes, we learn lessons from every project that we participate in, and we're doing first-of-a-kinds in terms of the implementation structures of certain projects. But really, you know, each country is very specific and we are are a type of company that is solutions based. So we work with our partners in terms of what is going to be best for their particular situation. So you mentioned the importance of having a strategy in place and having long term agreements and understanding of goals, both of the country that might be interested in building a nuclear power plant and What do you think Russia-Africa nuclear cooperation in the long and short term should look like? And what would you want it to look like? If we were to just dream a little bit and think of, you know, in an ideal world, what would you like that to look like? So let's say over the next year, I believe that, you know, we'll continue fruitful cooperation with numerous African countries and partners. We've signed MOUs on peaceful uses of nuclear energy and intergovernmental agreements with a list of of African countries, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, to name just a couple. So I I believe that we will continue working with them and trying to assist them to achieve their long-term nuclear power ambitions. I think in the next year, I also hope to see the more established nuclear nations on the continents like South Africa, Ghana, Nigeria, releasing requests for proposals on, on nuclear programs or at least selecting preferred partners. 
I believe there will be some very positive movements in terms of nuclear medicine and irradiation facilities, which we discussed a little bit earlier on the continent. And I'm happy to say that we're making some very positive progress in this regard. And then as for the long term, I, I truly hope and, and I actually believe we'll see large scale Russian power plants, as well as small modular reactors, both land-based and floating, helping to empower this uh, beautiful continent. Beautiful. And to you, what does it mean to do business in Africa today? Opportunity. Opportunity like uh, nowhere else currently. I think that's, that's about it. Yeah. And then just one last question. This is a bit of a personal one. What do you feel when you think about the future of Africa? This is a question that I ask all of our guests, and I would love to hear your your thoughts. I think the continent has a very bright future. We we have a population where 70% is under the age of 35. So we're a young, vibrant continent. We have a huge amount of potential. And I believe that the, the new generation, the younger generation, are the key to unlocking that. And I think we've got a very bright future. As Africa continues its development path, the energy issue is likely to make or break the continent's growth. Time will show whether countries are able to find the means to guarantee their own energy security and sovereignty. This will likely be a significant determining factor in creating the Africa of tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Africa Dialogues. We look forward to more real conversations around Africa today.